0: Crash. No, don't put the Britney Spears in the trash. Never never. 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 You know, funny story Britney Spears, born December 2nd, 1981. Rocky oh. Jones, oh. born December 2nd, 1981. Yes. Yes. Okay. Probably shouldn't have put my whole birth date out there on the internet, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Special day. You just want to give us your social security number? No, actually, funny story. So, I think I told you guys this. I think I've mentioned this on the pod, though, before. My mother had a side hustle in the 80s doing people's astrological charts. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she said when I was born that there was a constellation in the sky, like a a five pointed star that meant that I was going to be wealthy and famous and (laughs) I'm just like you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it was for someone else. But you know but you know there's still time. There is there's still time. You're not even halfway through. Well, you know, hopefully. Right, right. Hopefully an air conditioning unit doesn't fall on me on my way to the bus. (laughs) So how are y'all doing?
1: You know, yeah, Okay, here. you're
0: here. Okay, <laughs> I'm. T- I feel so bad. I'm like, I'm. I'm sitting here, you know, less than twenty four hours after getting out of off a plane, refreshed, my like, yes. vacation glow. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Is everything great? Oh, the world's still We've on been fire. We work. Um, right? working. Yeah. <laughs> so we see the world is still on fire. Still. Okay. So no one Let's to carry see. that. That's unfortunate. <laughs> no. no. COVID's still a thing. Yep. Yeah, so this was my first time in an airport. I was going to ask, what, what is that, that
2: like?
0: like? What was it giving? It was not, I don't think it was giving what it was supposed to give. Because yeah. I was <laughs> seen a lot of people with masks, like, you know, pulled down no you did not I did mm. several and I you know what I will say these flight attendants are not have they are not taking any of this no they're taking people BS. To seats <laughs> <laughs> like for some like so you know there were a couple of just like young you know men mostly okay. um you know who were just like saying like oh, this mask is too <laughs> confining or whatever and like they just oh, were gosh. walking up and down the aisles like nope nope on your nose. No, it needs to be above (laughs) your nose. Above (laughs) your nose. So that made me feel good. And then on the way back, (laughs) we had this black woman who was just not taking... She was not having any of it. (laughs) And I don't know why, but this man, we were landing. We were coming into the airport to get on the ground again. And this man just decides that, like... This is the exact moment that I need to get up and get something out of the overhead bin.
1: Okay, now, sir. but as
0: we are descending, everybody from knows the, the drill from the sky, <laughs> right. and she just got on the mic and she was just like, "Just a reminder that." According to FAA rules, everyone needs to be in their seat right now because we are landing. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, Well that's a bit down and Dennis and I just looked at each other like, Oh my god <laughs>
1: The landing process, how do you even feel like getting up? This is like what I know. that is what I'm wondering. Like, it is not a comfortable no, like I not. should get up and try to walk right now, kinda of feeling I don't know.
0: I don't know. But I, mean, I just... I forgot just how many people just do not have home training when yes. they're on airplanes.
1: Yeah. Yes. yes.
0: On my way there and back, I had somebody who was kicking my seat the entire time. A grown person? A grown person on the way back. But it was two children... And their mom, and, like, they were, like, building forts and playing hide-and-seek and, and like, jungle gym on the seats. And the mom is just saying, they're like, oh, Bella, Oliver, Bella, Oliver, oh, my God, my angels. Oh, you just play, play. And and I kept looking back at her, like, you know, excuse me. And, And she's like, oh, my children, they're such angels. just, like, the beautific smile like Um, watching them play and I just like I well I mean that whole day like getting there was uh, just a nightmare because of that huge thunderstorm last Tuesday and so like I get out of the shower the power in our house just completely goes out oh god so I had to finish getting dressed and getting ready (gasps) and pack in the Pitch black dark, (laughs) 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 and and try and like comfort our black cat (laughs) who we were like chasing around with a flashlight. (laughs) And then we get to the airport, and we're going through security, and Dennis is taking things out of his bag to put in the bin slices his finger open (gasps) on something so we had to find him first aid then he's like traveling with like blood on his shorts (laughs) then bella and oliver (laughs) and their mom (laughs) and then we finally get to california and we rented an airbnb and so for whatever reason like we couldn't find a direct flight into palm springs and the connecting flight was like sit in phoenix for 5 hours and we we're like no we don't no. want to do that so like we decided to go to LAX and then rent a car and mm-hmm. drive to Palm Springs it's only like 2 hours mm-hmm not thinking that we're landing in the middle of rush hour in LA, and we hadn't eaten anything, so we almost murdered each other. (laughs) 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 Like, in a very serious... (laughs) Like, I'm on my honeymoon, and I'm about to commit, like, homicide. I'm like, this is about to be a Dateline NBC. (laughs) And so we finally stopped. We got something to eat. We both were Cooler heads prevailed, mm-hmm. but then, like the the Airbnb people were like, "Yeah, call us when you're about a half an hour out, and then we will like you know, show up with the keys and whatever." And so th- then I, I like, and the email was like, "And if you don't reach me, call this other person, like my assistant or whatever, and they'll take care of you."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I called the person. He doesn't pick up, and uh-huh. yeah and I just leave a message and I'm like alright we're about halfway out so then I call the assistant he doesn't pick up
2: Ooh. Okay.
0: and so then about 20 minutes out I try again on both phones no answer mm. and so then Ooh. now I'm just like sitting there going like oh my god if this is like an Airbnb Verbo scam <sighs> oh no I swear to God oh my gosh. and so we finally get to the house and nobody's picking up and we're just like sitting in the driveway of this house and finally the dude like calls back and he's like oh we don't do in person um, check ins anymore because of COVID Like the the key is like under the rock under the front door by the front door. And I was just like, so, so why couldn't you just email me that? Easily communicable information. Or text me, because I also texted him. Why did okay. I have to go through all of that stress? But then, got in the house, <laughs> <laughs> put my clothes away, put on my, my swimsuit, <laughs> made a margarita. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Went it's out by the pool, didn't leave for a week so (laughs) happy ending but like good god (laughs) I feel like I earned that vacation
1: absolutely the universe was just like I'm just gonna throw every little obstacle before you get there let's test do you really want
0: this vacation yes yes god I do (laughs) please this is not this is not the moment for a Job situation please (laughs) I don't need this right now (laughs) right now. (laughs) My God. But yeah, so, but then we had a lovely time, and, you know, Palm Springs is just like, super fun, and gay, and chill, and our neighbors were a little loud, but, you know, when you're sitting in the sun, just like, whatever, have fun. (laughs) You know, Oliver and Bella over there, doing cannonballs in the pool. (laughs) But it's all good. It was all good. <laughs> yeah. So what did I miss? Well, first,
3: I just want to say that Damien and I had such a nice time oh, at yes. your party. Like, I was... we really did. Oh god! It was <laughs> our first time that we've gone somewhere and like had fun, fun, and we talked about that when we got home. So that was a a really, really nice, a really nice thing. You know,
0: after being here for five months finally oh. having some fun <laughs> <laughs> well i'm so glad you, you were able to come like that was yeah. yeah that's another thing i forgot like wedding reception done yeah. thank god <laughs> never have to Lovely. have another one <laughs> well you know if he doesn't f up <laughs>
1: my partner said the same thing about oh having fun because he moved here in you know november and He's got to do, like, little social things mm-hmm. here and there with my friends and stuff like that. But he had a l- lot of fun, and he was like, I finally, like, for real, really heard that Minnesota accent. Y'all talk about yeah. like- <laughs> yep. 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 He thought me and my housemate were uh, no. Um, exaggerating. No, no, no. No, no. No, <laughs> no.
0: Because no. there, there are some folks who, who came from... 'Cause I feel like the Twin Cities it's not as pronounced, but when yeah. you get out there to those suburbs, yeah. Oh, yeah. those exurbs <laughs> <laughs> those real Oh yeah, you bet child, yeah. like real Fargo, Cohen brothers. Very. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, Dennis, like, a, like, you know, a few years ago, he was just like, well, I mean, like, it's not like I have an accent, and I was like, say bag. Mm. Like, <laughs> say the word bag right now.
1: <laughs> That's good. definitely one of the test words. Bag. Bag. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. What was the other one? Milk? I think people say funny. It's Kind of like an L kind of sound.
0: M- milk? Milk? Yeah, milk? it's kind of like... A- <laughs> Or if, like the way that some people say bagel instead of bagel. Which I oh, I don't yeah. understand
3: just oh, wow. like phonetically, that shouldn't be a thing, right? Isn't bagel like <laughs> B A G G
0: L E or something? Like I would think that there would be a double G. You need it, right? Like B A G G L E.
3: It's Like some, Fraggle. Some, like Fraggle. Rock. This is exactly where I'm going with this, yeah. right? And <laughs> I don't know, I've heard that a couple of times since I've been here, and it's like you should know good and well that it's not the pronunciation. <laughs> it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. But I think that's a little bit of my new New York hegemony kind of slide known in.
0: Well, like, not only does it Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't work because like, clearly, I don't know if you've had a Minnesota bagel. Um, no,
1: I I, no. <laughs> so, so you don't sound like you'd be interested in that. I, from New York. Yeah, I'm, I'm a shade, no. It's, it's not
0: something I would necessarily recommend as a former New Yorker. I think you might be, I think you might be sorely disappointed. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> but not to, you know on our beautiful new home state, too much and there are lots of things
3: I do want to try and have been super open to trying since I've gotten here and I've had some good food right? mm-hmm. like I've had some things and like um, one of our colleagues Andrew Sun was telling me on my first visit out here that there is a thing here and of course now I can't remember I want to call it hot pot but that's actually hot what we hot had in Hong Kong yes hot, hot dish mm. and yeah. it's something about Something with some tater tots in it. Yeah, so um, uh-huh.
0: you take ground beef, mm-hmm. brown it with mm-hmm. some... Uh, you put it in a casserole dish mm-hmm. with cream of mushroom soup and some sort of vegetable of your choice, mm-hmm. whether it's peas or mm-hmm. green beans mm-hmm. or corn. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you mix the that in with the cream of mushroom?
1: I'm not sure. I think you may mix it in...
0: I think you maybe mix it I think it you away. mix it in. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so then you do an artful layer of tater tots on top of that and some cheddar cheese. Not an artful. <laughs> <way>. <laughs> 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 it has to look nice. It has to look appetizing. <laughs> and then some cheese on top. And then you put that in the oven mm-hmm. until, and you let the, the flavors all meld together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and get the 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 cheese all melty and the tater tots crisp mm-hmm. and it's it's i I'm super anytime it's put in front of me I'm like okay it sounds good. like a shepherd's pie like in- it is it's a similar kind it's of a deal. similar yeah. kind of deal but it's yeah. like definitely not um fancy mm-hmm. highfalutin right. <laughs> <laughs> also I very much
1: like when I tried it I was like oh this sounds like the kind of or this tastes like the kind of thing people come up with when they live in a cold climate mm-hmm. and, like, yeah. want a comfort food. Yeah. yeah, Like, it's amazing in the winter, especially. Mm. And, you know, there's little ways to remix it mm-hmm. and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, you may decide to do, like, some, um, or at least I would, you know? this Sounds good to me, and I think I've had it before. It was, like, some peppers and mm-hmm. onions and mm-hmm. tomato kind of situation mm-hmm. and, you know, try to do a little southwest thing. Mm-hmm. Or you may try to do, like, you know, some bacon and yes. Yes. instead yes. of ground beef, mm-hmm. or you know, mm-hmm. there's ways to push it up. It. <laughs> no, I will tell you, like Hitting when I've fr- <laughs> yeah, no yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Obvious. <laughs> well, hot sauce on top yes this. yes mm-hmm. but you know I will say that when I first moved here and Dennis and I first moved in together I was all like oh I'm gonna cook something for my man and so <laughs> and so I was like when in Rome like make a tater tot hot ditch so I found a recipe online and I was like I can do this mm-hmm. and so then I went and I but I actually like bought like actual mushrooms mm-hmm. And then I didn't buy, like, I bought fresh vegetables. Mm -hmm. I didn't buy, like, the the canned stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, it's good. It's just too fancy. (laughs) And I was like... mushrooms and vegetables <laughs> he's like no it's supposed to be like canned del monte vegetables <laughs> and campbell soup and i'm like but i can make actual cream of mushroom soup i don't even no that's what that's what i did i made cream of mushrooms soup Ooh, from scratch it sounds amazing I don't, oh i have the best recipe it's so good um but yeah, so like like I, I I did everything from scratch, and it was like except for the tater tots, obviously. And he was just like, "No, it's delicious. It's just not tater tots." <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, <laughs> <doing? laughs> okay. <laughs> well, never mind. <laughs> I guess I'll just throw it in the trash. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's just a little bougie. It's just, just a little bougie. Just a, just a little bougie. bougie. <laughs> <laughs> a story of my life. (laughs)
3: Well, I am looking forward to trying it. I am all about comfort food, and since winter is going to last, what is it, 10, 10, 11 months here? Then I I will have (laughs) ample opportunity
0: to, to get into it. Oh yeah, so many different hot because that's not mm-hmm. the only type of hot dish hot oh. dish is a genre yes oh
3: excuse
0: me yes. okay yes I mean okay. that's the most famous hot dish <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I mean I think hot dishes it's like casserole
1: oh oh yeah okay just yeah. okay.
0: you
1: say it's the tater tots that make it hot dish though right like would you say that, or are
0: there hot dishes that don't have tater tots? I think there are hot dishes that don't have tater tots. Oh, I think it's okay. I think it's just a stand-in for it, because, like, you have, like, the one with the Fritos on top. Oh. It's no, like, I like
2: a... Okay.
0: I, know. <laughs> I think it's like a, like a chili situation. Okay, oh, so I have okay. heard of a hot
1: okay. dish that's like a chili kind of situation. Yes. Yeah, and it's, yes. Like,
0: it's like Frito pie, but not. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. You know...
0: So, people out there who are listening, if you you are a native Minnesotan,
3: um, hit us up on email with some... Hot dish information, some recipes, some knowledge, some something because <laughs> you hear us in here trying to piece
0: together what we think this is about, but we you, should have a hot dish day where we have where we try out dish. everyone's recipes email Let's us at the score at dot org <laughs> <laughs> and one winter's morn <laughs> we'll come in here and we'll just eat a whole bunch of just like cream and chicken jerk chicken hot <laughs> that would be you are onto something that would be amazing
3: <laughs> you are
1: absolutely that would be amazing
0: <laughs> you
3: know, I, I can figure this out i can figure this out yes yeah it'd
1: yeah. be cute like special holiday episode yeah, oh.
2: yeah. hot dish potluck Yeah, that would be amazing <laughs> we should
0: invite like well I don't know if we can ha- how many people we can have in this small space. Right. And still be in COVID compliance.
3: Probably no more than who are currently in here.
0: Well, <laughs> maybe one more. They'll <laughs> have a special guest. Someone yeah. small. Yes. Someone tiny. <laughs> a baby, a puppy. <laughs> I'll bring my dog. <laughs> okay.
1: That would be fun. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, speaking um, of. Of food and our weeks, I may have told told you all this at uh, your reception, Rocky. But I recently tried the sous chef uh, Sean Sherman' his new restaurant, Owmni. You oh. did say that, yes? No, that yeah. I didn't. No. Yeah, so it oh op- yeah opened up at the end of July. Owamni here um, in downtown like on the Mississippi River just like a few steps away from the Stone Arch Bridge. Such it's okay. a cute location. Mm-hmm. It is so cute oh my gosh I think it's in like a maybe like a waterworks building or something like that. Yes, yes that's what it is. Yep. Yeah, yep. Is it
0: on St. Anthony, Maine or? Uh,
1: no, so it's actually on the other side and kind of along, what would that be? Oh, okay. West River Parkway. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, a, so it's along there. 10,
3: 15-minute walk from here. Gotcha.
1: Yep, yep. It was so good. So, so good. Ooh, like jealous. it was It was amazing. So, I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, part of their, I guess just like their whole mission is to... Not use colonial ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, Sean Sherman, the Sioux chef, is Sioux is in like Dakota Sioux, like he's a Dakota <laughs> man, <Nice>. um, <laughs> right? I think it's the cutest play cute on words. Too. That's cute. I love it. Right, right. So, like his whole like mission is to promote indigenous food ways, more sustain- sustainable food systems. Also, um, speaking to how like a lot of the colonial ingredients that's in everything have actually like detriment detrimentally like impacted the health of Mm -hmm. uh, indigenous peoples and I mean everybody from what we see in statistics so there's not like extra like added sugar um, especially like cane sugar like Mm -hmm. nothing like that Mm -hmm. no wheat um, or like soy Mm -hmm. or um, even the meat they don't use like uh, mass produced or like pasture raised kind of meat well Mm -hmm. I don't know pasture, right? I don't know the correct terminology. Basically, <laughs> the meat they had on the menu was like bison, different types of fish, um, like local, like white fish and trout and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and duck and turkey, Ooh, like nice. things that are Ooh. indigenous to mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. region. And, you know, where there's sweeteners, it's things like berries or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. things that are, that are naturally sweet. And it was just like, it was such a, <laughs> and at some point my partner was just like, there is a party going on in my mouth right now. All these <laughs> different flavors. <laughs> like, And it was amazing to not have that extra stuff that's in so much in our food because then you could like actually taste mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. each of mm-hmm. the pieces. You can taste like mm-hmm. what these herbs are that they put on top. You can taste the the berries. You can taste the, whatever was part of it. Um, it was just so, so good. And so at the end, I noticed that they had, um, the sous chef has a a recipe book too. Um, And I noticed they had it on the wall and I wanted to buy a copy um, because of course I was like, I just have this wonderful food. I got to like, yes, I I just have to. I need to know how to make some of this. And the waitress waitress was like, okay, yeah, you can buy one of the books and they come signed too. I did not know that she meant that uh Sean Sherman himself comes up to your table oh, and China signs books. the book. Uh. <laughs> so yes, we that's also got to awesome. meet Sean Sherman, the sous chef. He was so cool. That is so
0: that's such a kind thing, it really. Right? Is.
1: I was like, it's one of those moments where you have to like try it. not to like fangirl <laughs> too much. I just love what he's what he's doing. Mm. Like, and it's something that I have that I've like learned about in relation to like African Americans and how you know a lot of the colonial ingredients mm-hmm. and stuff mess with our mm-hmm. our systems as well, and how like actually eating closer how to how our ancestors did. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, like, just significant improvement, leaps and bounds of improvement in our health when we mm-hmm, do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had a little conversation, too, about mm-hmm. why it's important, like, <laughs> for both indigenous people to hear and, like, Africans. And he was, you know, he very much got it. it was just like, well, yeah, because you are are like in, stolen indigenous people. Like, they pushed mm-hmm. off uh, us off our land and then, you know, brought y'all in for forced labor. And so, like, we're all eating these things that are... You know, not in, um, you know, not working with the land as mm-hmm. we used to do. Like We both come from people who knew how to, mm-hmm. you know, work with the land, eat with the land and the seasons and all of that. And so we have to, you know, return to some of that and we can work together to do so. I was just like, yeah. What a I beautiful thing. That.
0: Oh, my goodness. I hope the microphone didn't pick up my stomach just growling. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have a really close
3: friend um, who is Jamaican, who lives in Mm. Chicago, who a few years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, actually, got on the same kind of indigenous food thing about really Mm -hmm. focusing on what should your body be ingesting? Like, if you were where your ancestors were, what would you be eating and how different would you be because of it? And he lost maybe 75 pounds. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, just like shifting his diet back to something a little bit more um, consistent with Caribbean food. But, you know, I mean, again, like there's some colonial stuff at play there. But I think that there is a piece of it, right, that's mm-hmm. thinking about what are we supposed to be eating? How do we pull back from all of this process, manufactured stuff that we are not? really supposed to be ingesting and Mm -hmm. as long as hot sauce is not considered a colonial creation (laughs) (laughs) I'm in complete agreement with this because I I think there's something to it. I really do. Definitely.
0: And I just love the idea of just like eating cleanly and just actually being able to taste your food because I feel like we just like I heard a term the other day I forget what I was watching but zombie eaters. But and it's just this idea that like we're just sort of like in front of a screen mm. just like shoving food into our face and like not even really just like not even enjoying it really mm. yeah. you know just sort of like getting sort of maybe like the dopamine hits from like the sugar or like the, <laughs> yeah. the fat or the high fructose coins or whatever <laughs> you know is in there that's just sort of just our you know by body systems and whatnot yeah. mm-hmm. um, but it's just like yeah no, like the times where i really have just sort of like you know i'm going to like cut out like processed sugars and like processed flours and stuff it's just amazing the way your taste buds just open up right and like and I remember our, our co-worker Eric a couple years ago did a, did that and he, I remember having lunch with him and like he got like a salad from Whole Foods or something and he was like this asparagus oh my gosh <laughs> I was, like, oh, and, I'm, and I was like shut <laughs> up <laughs> but then last year when I started doing it I was just like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> vegetables are delicious!
1: <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> this carrot! <Karen>, right? Magnificent! <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And just like the setting with like the river next to us to Me and my partner were just totally having this moment. Did you try that? Oh my God. You need to make sure you have a little bit of that on your fork when you try the salad next time. It was just... So good. Mm. So good. All right,
0: well, we're going to have to go. Yeah, Maybe oh, yeah. let's go for lunch one day. We absolutely should. That would mm-hmm. be fun. If, if this COVID thing ever is not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm assuming <laughs> since you, you were there, they're, they're safe and socially distanced. And
1: all this yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the inside is, you know, it's, it's kind of spread out. You're not all up in people's faces mm-hmm. and stuff. But there's also a, you know, good-sized outdoor seating, outdoor seating area, too. So... I bet yeah. on a weekday it's it.
3: actually not crazy because the, the reason we haven't gone yet is because it is frequently packed on the weekends, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, maybe a midday jaunt <laughs> over <laughs> would be, <laughs> be a nice little way to break up the Zooms. So. Yeah,
1: uh, and the bar may be open too. You can be served at the bar. I I actually, to get our reservation, I have signed up for um, notifications for when a table would be open, that's and smart. so it had to have been smart. like seven thirty a.m. in the morning, and me and my partner had like other plans, and I was like, "Babe, I got an no- email notification. There's a table open. You want to go?" And He's just like,
2: "What? Cancel? Like, cancel. Up. cancel your day? Wake up and cancel it? Like
1: whatever we were gonna do, we're not doing it anymore. Like we're here."
0: But you know, I know every place in California it's like that. You have to like have a reservation everywhere, and. Mm-hmm. You have to like show your vaccination card when you go in places. Sign so, of times. I yeah. mean, it really is. Yeah. So, you know, Californian friends, please vote no on that recall. <laughs> 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 we don't want Larry Elder, we want we want we want Gavin Newsom, we want to stop the spread. So. <laughs> Speaking of America though Yeah uh, this is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um I am so excited um because we have the most fabulous guest coming up. Yay. Mia Imani Franklin who was Miss America a couple of years ago, but she is also an incredible composer mm-hmm. incredible. in her own right. She is an incredible advocate. For uh, music in schools and introducing young people to classical music. And we are just honored to have her on the score. So So stay tuned and we will be back with Nia and Manny Franklin on the other side of this break. Ah, my gay heart, I can't stand it. Just heard is an excerpt from Chrysalis Extended, performed by the Dallas Symphony Orchestra and composed by our amazing next guest. We are so honored to have her on the program with us. It is the incredible Nia Imani Franklin. Welcome!
4: Hi! <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. Hello, hello. <laughs>
0: So, Lee, do you want to introduce us to our fabulous guest? I would
3: love to, since Nia and I met last fall. She's actually one of the first people who I met in this role. I've absolutely been so impressed with her. She was such a a thoughtful, interesting, um, supportive person, and i was so excited that we have the opportunity to bring her onto the podcast today. Um, Referred to as a remarkable young woman who embodies the power of the arts to enrich and transform lives by the former Chancellor of UNC School of the Arts. Nia Imani Franklin is a composer, actress, and singer who has had her work performed by the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, Friction Quartet, Matt Hamovitz, and many others. She has performed with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra and collaborated with an array of award-winning producers. Nia became the second composer in residence at Festival Napa Valley in 2021, where she premiered several new works and was awarded the Darius and Shapar Khalidi Prize for Excellence and Innovation in Classical Music. As a Kenan Fellow at Lincoln Center in New York, Nia gained additional knowledge and experience as an educator and performer. After concluding her fellowship, she earned the titles of Miss New York 2018 and Miss America 2019. At a post-crowning press conference, five-time Grammy-nominated recording artist Carney Wilson said, the minute Nia opened her mouth, I was like, that's Miss America 2019. I just (laughs) had this feeling.
0: That's amazing. I think she
3: represents the organization beautifully. She's poised, she's intelligent, she's relatable. I think she's a fantastic human being. Nia holds a bachelor's degree in music composition and theory from East Carolina University as well as a master's degree in music composition from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In 2019, she founded Compose Her, an initiative that seeks to empower women in music. Thank you again for being here today, Nia.
4: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Absolutely. To get things started, we would love to hear about the ways that your background has shaped your career journey in classical music.
4: Wow. So, my background really stems from growing up in church. Um, I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and I grew up going to Mount Zion Baptist Church, uh, where the pastor is Dr. Serena Churn. And I just loved music and everything about it. So, um, I grew up probably around four or five years old, started singing on what was called the Children's Choir, and, um, you know, (laughs) my mom always says that I had my first big solo when I was five years old, and then we had this other choir called the Youth Ensemble, and you had to be Um, I I think it actually didn't matter what age you were. It was considered the older choir, um, like more, you know, high school, middle school age. The only requirement was that you had to be baptized. So as soon as I got baptized, I joined it, which I think (laughs) I was like seven years old or six when I got baptized. And then like a few years later, I was like, okay, I have to be on this choir now. Um, but I just loved like that, that community feeling that I got through music and through singing and being around people that just lifted my spirit. And um, it's the feel, it's something that I you, you can't describe and you can't really find it quite anywhere else. At least in my experience, that same that feeling of community and togetherness. And so, you know, um, I ended up doing chorus in high school um, when I was a tenth grader, um, and that was a different type of choir than I was used to. And that was what kind of introduced me into the classical world coming from more of a gospel background and growing up with like my dad blasting Stevie Wonder on the radio and uh, just falling in love with R&B at a very young age and jazz. My grandfather used to play jazz when he would pick me up from school all the time. So by the time I was in 10th grade, of course I had heard classical music before, but it was a different experience being, um, at that age and listening to it but also learning how to read music and sight reading and um, all of those things that come with the classical music territory so it was a new uh experience for me but i absolutely loved it i think it just felt like even more of a challenge than what i was used to and um that kind of sparked my love for it and uh, for classical music and i also learned what it really meant to compose that year as well um by watching a documentary uh, that they were kind of doing behind the scenes of struck the musical and um, there was a female composer who I was talking all about her work and I was like okay this is what I want to do and I started at that point taking the steps necessary to prepare for audition season.
1: I love that. I, I definitely identify with the starting in church and then like the love Mm -hmm. just growing from there. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, did you have any like particular role models, especially, uh, folks who are also black or people of color in general? And like, what did you, what did you admire about them?
4: Oh my gosh. I had so many role models, um, definitely in church. So, um, I think my very first, uh, example was, was of course my parents, my mom was singing around the house all the time and she, um, was on the like adult choir at our church. So, and she coached me a lot too. When I had to sing solos in church, um, she would actually, you know, get me up uh, on the fireplace and like make me drill it and make sure it was just perfect. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, my mom is a stage mom for sure. <laughs> um, and then there was, uh, the first choir director that I worked with, um, just was so, so encouraging, um, who was actually my sister's godmother, who uh, was a deaconess in our church at each bar. And she was just so nurturing. I mean, she even by the time I was in high school and she realized my love for music and realized that I wanted to do this seriously with my career, she basically was like, I think you should um, start helping me conduct or direct the the youth choir that I used to be on as a little girl so I I actually yes I became the assistant director and it was just that type of thing just gave me such a confidence that I think has stayed with me until this day, because to be only, you know, 14 years old and getting to direct people that are only like five years or, you know, six years younger than you, it's, it's a really special thing. And I'm so glad that she saw something in me um, and allowed me to help her do that. And it was like, it wasn't just play play. Like she would actually make me teach them the songs and get up. And I would normally direct, there were two songs every Sunday we would sing on on our Sunday to sing, which was the fourth Sunday. And um, I would be able to direct the one that was the offering song. (laughs) So um, it was just, a really beautiful time. And I'm so thankful for her mentorship. And then, you know, it's just like little people along the way or not little people, but these little things they would do that would inspire me. Um, Another one of our church um, music ministry leaders, uh, dynamic Griff, she gave me this little book when she started to realize I was um, taking opera lessons and needing to get more well-versed in foreign languages. She gave me this little tiny book, this blue book, and it was literally the size of like your hand, like a tiny little book. And it um, had all the IPA for German, French, and Spanish in it. And I used that book all the time um, when I was leading up to college auditions because I actually studied um, classical voice throughout college. In addition to my composition studies, that was my applied instrument. Uh, My voice, and I used it even, you know, as a freshman before I started taking um, uh, diction classes and things like that. And it was so helpful. And just, you know, something tangible like that, I, I will never forget forget that and and her for just giving gifting me that it was really special um so those are some of the the mentors that i've had um from a very young age and of course now so many other people have come along the way um and whether it was through a piece of advice they've given me or just um helping me uh, become a better musician i i've had so many really countless mentors it's, it's really important for me to have mentors It's oh, that's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs>
0: Well, on a similar vein, you know, when I was, um, you know, researching and looking into some of the work that you've done, one of the things that I was really impressed by was just, you know, all of the advocacy work that you do, especially, you know, with kids, with young folks. And so I think a lot of, you know, what we get, um, you know, is like, you know, opera, classical music, that's bougie, that's for white folks. Like, <laughs> um, and so I was just curious, you know, as you, you know, sort of meet, you know, aspiring composers or singers or librettists, especially young people of color who perhaps are considering a career in classical opera or perhaps, you know, aren't, but, you know, you see that sort of potential there you know what advice do you give to them about sort of coming into this industry especially as a as a person of color
4: well one of my piece uh, my pieces of advice that I give them is to have a mentor whether they find Mm -hmm. that in in myself or someone else that's in their local area or something like that Um, so that's like my number one piece of advice I think I actually when I got to the age of like just before high school or when you're, or you're in high school, getting ready for college, that was the point where it was harder to find a mentor at that point who, um, understood more of the intricacies that come along with classical music. And, um, it was a tough time, um, even going into college, um, when a lot of the, people that should be your mentors a lot oftentimes you might not relate to or um if if you don't have you know the same background as a lot of the other students do you may be um you know seen as not as serious of a classical music student or that sort of thing so for me um that is something I really wish I would have had at that moment in time when I was just getting into the the thick of it you know learning like AP music theory was completely different than actual freshman year music theory like (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh my god you're just getting me PTSD I
4: know I I have a headache now um but no it's completely different and so for me it took me a while to find that and I and i honestly, I don't even know that I had a true mentor my entire college experience other than the professors that are there and they're paid to be there and help you. But it wasn't until I moved to New York that I found that. So that's like number one piece of advice. If this is something you're wanting to go into, because the sooner that you find that person, you can latch onto them and they can be there for you for life. Um, and then also I would just say to really, um, utilize the the tools that you have right in front of you we all know that we have like the internet now and and social media and just all these different resources um that can help you gain more exposure to what it is that you want to do um in this in whatever the kind of discipline it is that you want to study just really like studying up on it i remember when i first started um wanting to be a composer and wanting to do classical music, I just tried to find every book that I could and read. And it's not the same thing as going to school for it necessarily. And it's not the same thing as having someone sit down and go over those materials with you. But it's, it's a way that you can unlock something within yourself where you're reading it for yourself and learning about what it is that you want to do.
0: That's,
3: I mean, yeah, that's, (laughs) So Mia, in addition to writing really gorgeous, stirring, inspiring music, and I'll I'll say a little bit more about your upcoming EP uh, shortly, you've also been a really vocal advocate, especially for arts in the schools, which is super important to all of us here. Um, Could you say a little bit about the advocacy work you've done, and really what it means to be in the activist space as a classical musician composer.
4: Yes. Um, thank you. I, I feel like for me, advocacy, again, is so important because the more that you can see people um, like up close doing the things that you want to do and um, being a part of the groups that you want to be a part of, it's it's really, really important. Um, you know, there's so many programs out there that I've done and I wish I could have done more. And sometimes they're just not, you know, they're not accessible. And so for me, when I was Miss America and even prior to that, um, I've always been, you know, championing, championing the arts and, and wanting to make sure that, uh, people do have that access to it, um, and equal access to the, and, and, and it's, it's a long list of, of ways to really make the arts truly not only accessible, but also equal, um, because there's so many schools that, you know, don't even have, they'll have a dance program, but they won't have a music program or they won't have an art mm-hmm. program. And so, um, you know, music is is certainly um, a passion of mine, but all the arts have have impacted me as an artist. I, you know, I grew up uh, doing dance lessons and have dance recitals. And um, I was in my church's liturgical dance ministry. I took art classes, like visual art classes in high school. So all of those things definitely shape um, what I do as a musician. And I think it goes, um, it, it, I think other people that are, are in other disciplines also would say they they love music and that inspires them when they're doing their various things. So I think it's really important to have that well-rounded education, um, and and not just the arts, but but other forms of education as well, math and sciences, like so STEAM um, is is important to me. Um, so I've worked with organizations um, such as Sing for Hope, which is an organization based in New York, um, and they, you know, it goes beyond just K through 12 for them. They are doing it worldwide globally, they um, actually have these pianos, which I was um, a partner with um, with them on this. So they have these pianos that they basically refurbish and they um, partner with visual artists um, around New York City to paint them. And then they place them all around the city um, during mainly the summer months when it's warmer so that anyone, you know, walking past, you know, if you're in Times square, which is where they've had some of their events or if you're in Bryant park anywhere, pretty much in the city, you can find one of their pianos and it's free to just play it, walk up to it. Um, They've definitely had to get creative with COVID, but it's Mm -hmm. a wonderful way to expose people to the arts. Um, And for me, you know, another program that I was involved with when I was in grad school was called, um, Artist Corps, which was, um, at the time it was a, um, a sub organization of AmeriCorps. And what we did is we went into underserved areas, areas that did not have access to the arts, um, in in my, in my case music. And so I, my two locations were a preschool, uh, and then also an elementary school where I was assisting, um, the music teacher at a title one school. And, there was a moment where I was in the preschool location and some of the kids had never even seen a piano, let alone touched oh, one before. Wow. And it just really made, yes. And wow. and we would, I would allow them to touch one note per, you know, per day. And, and <laughs> some of them, would, some of them would, you know, just, you know, press all of them. I can't just touch one, but um, you know, it's teaching them that discipline, but it's also engaging them and stimulating them in a way where they may not have been before. And we definitely saw a difference in a lot of the children and in the way they um, engaged with others. And, you know, there were, there were certain children that could barely, like, they wouldn't really make eye contact with you and that sort of thing. And over the course of that year that I was at that site, we saw a, a major difference in kind of just their social skills even. So it's just really important, even on those like what we think sometimes as a, as a small thing or on a small level, it really can make a difference and, and change people's lives. So I know music and having, having access to the arts has certainly changed my life. Um, And, you know, it's something that if I can just make, you know, one or two kids out there, see it the way I see it, or want to get involved or even go do this for a career, then I feel like I'm doing my part.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah yeah absolutely I I love having done a little teaching artist work myself I love seeing that change in in students and especially when you get to have like more than just that you know one off little hour with them like mm-hmm. you can be consistent just watching how they blossom is mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's so, so beautiful um I'm wondering would you so, would you describe with what, especially with what you just said, would you describe opera and classical music, well, classical music in general, as behind the curve with regards to progressive issues? And if so, like, why do you think that is? And like, what does or should activism look like in this space? Like, what do people need to be doing more of?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it varies from opera house to opera house, Um, and I think some are doing more than others, Um, but I think the number one thing is um, how we are engaging people um, outside of just those four walls when they're there. Of course, everybody's productions are, you know, they're giving it their best and they're trying to pick. Uh, in most cases repertoire that they feel like will resonate with the audiences that they serve. But sometimes I think we need we need to kind of start getting out of just the audience that we're already currently serving. And not to say we need to alienate the, you know, the, the people that have been coming to the opera since they were seven years old. And now they're like 80 years old. So we don't want we don't we don't want to alienate them. But we also want to find a way to um to grab the attention of of millennials, of people of color who don't historically have any connection to opera. Um, My only connection to opera was that I wanted to be a composer. So that was why I started learning about classical music and those sorts of things. But for someone who wants to go to college for something that is not even in the art in the arts field at all, what would be the reason that they will want to come? Um, is it to be entertained? Is it to learn more? Because a lot of operas have a lot of history in them um, where you can learn in that sort of a way. So we definitely just have to think outside of the box in terms of how we are engaging uh, new people, especially because I think the opera has so much to offer. Um, and there's there has to be a way that we can, you know, show that to people and and also um we need to show it to people but in a way where we don't feel like or, we, or that people don't perceive it as trying to like force it on them either I think you have to let people like want to come into um the, the opera space because that's what makes it more exciting
0: so do you think that there is anything that especially people who are like in our positions in these opera houses and there there aren't many but <laughs> <laughs> we're growing we're growing <laughs> You know, people who are sort of in the EDI education space, and also, you know, well, I shouldn't even just limit it to that. You know, everyone—the marketers, the <laughs> the production folks—everyone. I mean, are there things that, in your experience, that like we could be doing more to help make that connection in a more um, authentic sort of way?
4: Um, in an authentic way, I think that is very obviously challenging because.
2: Right.
4: <laughs> um. I mean, marketing is marketing, no matter what you're trying to market, it's hard for it to be organic, I think. Um, I mean, obviously there's word of mouth and like grassroots campaigns and things like that. But I really do think we have to look to, um, for me, I think it's really important to look to the future in terms of technology. Um, You know, social media is, you know, it's huge for, for all generations now, really. And in in terms of how you reach people um, and, and, you know, it's, I, it's a love hate relationship because I'm kind of, I feel like I'm an old soul. Like I actually still use, you know, I actually still will write letters there, You know, sometimes like I, I still use the mail system if I want to like send a check, you know, but at the same time, social media and, and having access to market, um, market your company um, in, that, uh, in that way where you can really reach someone across the world. Um, and I, I think that is a, is a really special thing. So I would say, you know, social media is one of those ways we can do that. But also um, just utilizing technology in a more general sense outside of just social media, because that can get tiring at times too. I think the world of streaming is really important now, as we're seeing like you know people people are going. I know like people are going to the movies less now I feel like people can just watch something at home you know you can bring opera right to someone's living room so I think that is something that I a lot of people I think have tried out and it might be an occasional thing but I feel like that could become just as standard as going to the opera house maybe um maybe there's just you know premieres and then we you know record it I don't know what that future looks like but I think it's something definitely worth exploring
2: Definitely. I mean especially, absolutely.
1: especially with the last year, so many people who like even before the pandemic had trouble making it out to mm. things, whether you know you have a disability or you have kids or something like
4: that. Yeah. The stream is a
1: bit more accessible for everyone.
4: I agree.
3: Um so Nia, I wanted to shift a little bit and talk a little bit about your music in particular. And when when I said earlier, I found it really inspiring after I listened to the snippet of Chrysalis Extended, I actually took out my flute and made a bunch of noise for like 35, 40 minutes. I didn't <laughs> you play the uh, flute. <laughs> I, I, I did. I played in orchestras for like 14 years and I, I haven't played a lot recently. Um, but it was one of those moments where I felt like, I miss playing. I miss playing with an Aww. orchestra. I miss Aww. hearing orchestras. <laughs> <laughs> hearing you talk a lot about the church in particular, so much of Black music is really rooted in that tradition, right, and and not just, you know, the the blues and and gospel where people can hear it, like our music more broadly, which is to say, American music is also rooted specifically in this tradition. So I would love to hear um, any perspectives you may have about what it is about the Black church, right, that is such a strong breeding ground for musicians.
4: Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many reasons. I think there's the choir, which I spoke about, but then there's also literally the musicians who play, who play the piano. Um, growing up in my church, we had a bass player, um, that would, that would play. They called him, um, (laughs) Papa Bass. Um, so, so, you know, and we had the organ player. So, um, it's, it's a special thing. It was very unique, of course. Um, I think, for me, it's it's definitely like like you said, a, a breeding ground, a, a way to um, kind of find yourself, explore the talents that you may or may not have, um, you know, even even I've seen great speakers come out of the church because you kind of have that foundation there and in a very safe space. Um, most of the time, you know, I feel like it's a very safe space for me. It certainly was. And then you kind of feel like, okay, I have, I can, let me go try this out in the real world or like, you know, people that don't have to clap for me (laughs) 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 after I sing. So that, yeah, it's, it's really, really special. I think, um, it's something I wouldn't trade for the world having that experience. And, um, yeah, does does that kind of answer your question?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that.
4: About the
1: last year, or I guess maybe it's a little more than, <laughs> than a year now. Right? When will it end? I feel like we'll see
4: here next, I don't
1: know, next
0: time yeah. I ask this
1: question. Maybe like, that's last year. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope not.
0: Please, anyway. please tell me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I wonder how do you think it's created um unique opportunities or challenges for for artists of color and I mean you can also you know maybe speak to what it's been like for
4: for you if you want to you know <laughs> and, yeah how do you think it's changed things This last year. Yeah. So at first I thought you were referring to COVID, but then I also, you know, I think about everything that happened in the summer of 2020 with, Mm -hmm. um, with the murders of George Floyd and, um, Breonna Taylor and it just all, I mean, the countless names that are frankly still going on today that, you know, um, don't always get that same press attention. Um, but I think it definitely was a wake up call that um, those those things happening, unfortunately, were a wake up call for so many organizations, for the world, for individuals, and people wanted to do something to make it right. And I think it was um, it was a bit overwhelming for um, for a lot of artists of color, black artists, um, who kind of saw this surge and opportunities all of a sudden coming up, which is great, but it's also like. What's going to happen after you fill your quota and you do this one concert of like black music or black composers or mm-hmm. you know? And 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 I think for me it's just it's all about it's nice to do those things. It's nice to highlight black composers, but it also needs to be a situation where we're not always having to have concerts that are just for black composers. Instead, it should be something that we're just seeing um, all throughout the season um, on multiple concerts. It doesn't have to necessarily be just that that concert. Does highlight race. I think that's how we get away from sort of filling those quotas and, and tokenism as well. Um, so you know, I, I actually did a concert. Um, the concert where Chrysalis Extended was um, premiered was for a youth concert series that Dallas mm-hmm. Symphony had, and it was celebrating Black composers. But because I had worked with Dallas Symphony before in the past um, a few times, it really did feel genuine to me for them uh, to be doing that with them um, because I'm a Black person. I've seen them work with other Black people. Like they have Black people in their orchestra. So it felt very genuine. And I, I hope that other organizations um you know I'm glad that they you know have changed things in their seasons but I, I hope that we continue to see um black people given that opportunity and and not overlooked um as we move forward and that and I'm wondering if it, is it going to like kind of sprinkle off and is it still going to just be this uphill battle so um I definitely think it was um a necessary change and you know A lot of of the same thing happened with people putting these statements out and then like, we wanna see more than just a statement. We want to see actual change.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely.
1: So kind of hoping that the actual norm has changed. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
0: So in terms of the opera industry, classical music industry in the light of all of these, Events and these statements and whatnot. Are there any specific um, changes that you would want to see industry-wise when it comes to communities of color, artists of color, um, composers of color, like yourself?
4: Yeah, I think I don't know. the The, the biggest thing I'd like to see is probably just um, the inclusion of of um of black people yes but of all races and and just Mm -hmm. all people that that have differences that are not you know the majority of what make um make this kind of community up the classical community if you will um so i i think it just has to be more intentional um it's you know you know being not racist isn't good enough right like we need Mm -hmm. to be anti-racist so we need to be actively trying to um to do things that will bring more inclusion to this this space um the classical space um and it's whether it's on an administrative level or whether it's um you know bringing people in i've seen some organizations bring in like um you know these guest artists and things like that and you know all of it doesn't even have to be attributed back to race and sometimes it's all it's almost good but mm-hmm. that that's happening it's like okay i see that this black man is now doing a guest artist um you know thing here or, or you know those things it's really it's really cool to see um and i i think we're moving in the right direction but it's just we i think um it's not all on the institution i mean it definitely they're the ones that have the ultimate say these institutions but also we as the you know the people the the patrons people that want to support these organizations the people that buy tickets we have to speak up as well and kind of hold them accountable mm-hmm. and it can get exhausting <laughs> for sure oh, you <laughs> <me about> it? <laughs> it can it can it can it get exhausting and um you don't want to feel like you're being appeased either right. but yeah. um you want to feel like it's coming from a genuine place right so I think there's there's definitely a lot of work to be done and I have confidence that we can do it but at the same time I think it we have to step up and be advocates as well Um, and and not just black people it needs to be white people everyone needs to kind of take take a stance and and say wait why does everyone on this why is everyone on this board white and male, you know, those sorts of things, <laughs> <laughs> things they should definitely be um definitely be um, brought to light and and discussed if, if, if at the very least.
0: Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. We are very much committed um to supporting the work of Black women leaders in particular in this trio that we are here and <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it has been a real recurring theme of our conversations. So um, it's been such a great pleasure to have you here sharing your perspectives with us while we have you captive. Is there anything else you want us to know or want to share with our listeners?
4: Yes, definitely. So um, my EP is coming out um, September 17th I'm Yay. really, really, really looking forward to the release. It's been a long time coming. Um, and the the orchestra piece that you mentioned, Chrysalis Extended, is um, on the EP. It was recorded um, by the Recollective Orchestra um, who, um, is just, they're insanely talented. Um, they did this really cool cover of the Black Panther, um, song with SZA, um, oh, and Kendrick wow. Lamar. Okay. This is like, this was like three years ago. but It was this beautiful, um, rendition. Um, I believe Matt Jones arranged it and he conducted it as well. He's a conductor and an arranger. Um, so it was just a, a real treat to work with them and, um, yeah, it's a it's a really cool album that kind of blends my love of classical music for my love of R and B. Um, so I'm singing on the EP as well, um, and it's just it's gonna be fun. So I'm really excited.
0: And and just so we're clear, what what's the name of the EP?
4: It's called It's Extended. Extended. Okay. Yes. And it's out
0: no or uh, September seventeenth. Right? Yes. yes. All right. Perfect. And everywhere that fine. EPs yeah. Are Apple, yeah. All yeah,
4: all, all, yeah, all the streaming services. <laughs> yeah. all right, well,
0: yeah. we'll make sure that we have a link out um, Thank for that. You. And yeah, any, anywhere else that people can follow you on social media, any handles that you want to put out there?
4: Yes, I'll drop my handles. So um, what am I on? So I'm on Twitter at Nia the Note. That was my like name and my Twitter name in college. And it just stuck, Nia the Note. And then on Instagram, it's uh, Nia Imani Franklin. Same thing on TikTok, Nia Imani Franklin.
0: Oh, TikTok. Oh, my goodness.
2: Yes, I think over here. <laughs>
4: like my, friends, my friends convinced me. My, my friends finally got me, you know, over on the, the dark side, the TikTok side.
0: <laughs> well, Nia, it has been such an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show today. And we just want to thank you so much for being here. We can't wait to hear extended everyone Mm -hmm. go out get yourself a copy and uh thank you again i've i've never had i've never spoken to miss america before (laughs) my my little gay
2: my little gay heart Uh, uh, thank you thank
4: you thank you all for having me
0: absolutely Absolutely. hope to do it again soon Yes. Isn't that amazing? Isn't she so... She's the best. You know, and I'm just like over here just looking like Shrek. Like, <laughs> talking to Miss America. Uh, <laughs> can't even. <laughs> she has a glow, y'all. Like, she, like the cheekbones. Yeah. Yes. Like, girl... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. well. <laughs> and she's talented, and she's smart. Well, some people, some people, just, <laughs> some people just, got just, just got it all. Not <laughs> just <laughs> got it <all>. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess an other news, um, you know, that isn't necessarily um pertaining to opera. And classical music, um, specifically, but definitely to a lot of artists <laughs> <Say> that <laughs> <laughs> but what we just wanted to talk about today is that there are just, I think it's twenty at and least growing. and growing yeah. HBCUs that are canceling student debt, which yep. is kind of amazing. Using their COVID government mm-hmm. funds mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm actually help folks yeah. who are drowning, um, under student debt, which I know we have all uh, or, or are still uh, in uh, some uh, cases, <laughs> Mr. PhD. <laughs> it seemed like such a good idea at the time. I know, I know. <laughs> but isn't that just such an amazing thing? It
3: it really and just common sense really is, and you know, once again, I, I feel like it's a, an instance where we have to acknowledge HBCUs as being unique leaders in the the broader space of higher ed, where you have what four thousand colleges of different types in this country, and you know, only hundred and so of them are HBCUs, and you know, twenty percent of HBCUs have already moved to a place where they are canceling this kind of debt for students. And when you think about the realities of more than 85% of black college goers taking out educational loans, as opposed to about 60% of white college goers, like this is a very real issue for Our communities and, and for the country generally right just in terms of where demographics are going it's a conversation that I think we really need to have and you know living abroad a few years ago and, and teaching in the, the Hong Kong university system it was such a striking thing to me where there are some countries that really try to facilitate people going to college in a in a really robust way of recognizing the broad benefits that having a a a highly educated population brings right Mm -hmm. and this isn't to say that every single person needs a four-year degree because i do not believe that that's the right move for every single person Mm -hmm. but the broad benefits to society of, of people having education beyond secondary schooling is significant right and the fact that we have more impediments to it than not in this country it's perplexing and it also connects things like what's happening right now and people's active denial of climate change and, and you know, basic microbiology. Like, th- these are not disconnected, right? So the fact that we see this list of, of HBCUs and it's the extremely well-resourced ones like Howard and, and Clark, and then also some of the smaller ones too are, are actually just going ahead and wiping out this debt for students. And I wanted to share this quote that I read in a a Forbes article from a 2021 graduate of Wilberforce, Rodman Allen. He said, I can use that money and invest it in my future. And there's something that really stuck Mm -hmm. with me about that. Because when you think about the wealth gap, between blacks and whites, right? The mm-hmm. How this shows up in home ownership, how it contributes to health disparity, certainly what it means for like educational attainment at the primary and secondary level. Like this is very, very real stuff, right? And if we're thinking about our own field with what artists of color are dealing with and the differences in opportunities that are presented to us and presented to white artists, like. the the fact of having some of this debt eliminated really shifts who can take their artistic careers to the next level as well and I I feel like at a company like ours that's the thing that we actively need to be thinking about and and really sitting with that when we're looking at primaries coming up right and thinking about how we want to vote like who's really taking on this issue and who really understands how this is showing up for people. This is a, a real life thing, and it's not just this kind of a conceptual piece where you hear people arguing things around like, this person went to Harvard. Why should they have their, their loans erased? And it's like, because there are broader benefits to society mm, yeah, when yeah. people are not carrying massive levels of debt. We should want people to own homes and start families and and put themselves in proper situations like the the ways that we just saw this week that Social Security is going to run out in 2034. Ah. So, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will be uh, older yeah. than I am now in 2034, but, but still not yet at a place where I would qualify for Social Security. Right. So this right. is like, I'm going to be paying into this for the next 13 years and not be able to reap any benefits from it and still mm. not be able to right-side aspects of my life, and Mm -hmm. I have been in college Mm -hmm. forever, right? So, I I think that we have to really think about the the broad consequences to this, not just, you know, what Mm -hmm. one person is doing, but how this is reshaping any number of landscapes, including the artistic one.
1: Mm -hmm. It's just like a, yeah, like, writing some wrongs that have happened, or like a serious imbalance, because how is it that so many people not even so many like all of us and mm. in, in my generation mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. i don't i don't know how it is now for younger folks or how it's been in the past but the biggest thing was pushing people to go to college mm-hmm. and saying if you want a decent paying job you need to go to College, and so we're like, okay, we all did that. Did that. I, mean, and like, I
0: remember when I was eighteen, I brought up to my mother, maybe I'll just like take a gap year because I don't really know what I want to do with my life because I'm eighteen, and she was like, boy, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like,
1: and that's the, especially if you know our, you know smart by as in not just smart you got good grades or whatever you know people kind of expect you to Mm -hmm. to go to college and there's like this promise that oh but you know your wages or your job your salary will will pay back Mm -hmm. what (laughs) what you spent in Mm -hmm. college it'll all be worth it Uh, that'll set you up for for life and that is clearly not been the case Uh, expectations and reality have been very different and (laughs) I feel like my whole generation has just been like like has just had the rudest awakening and (laughs) so many of us are very pessimistic about like well y'all said one thing you said I'd be able to purchase a house you said I'd be able to have a car you said I'd have be comfortable because I got this degree and that Mm. you know it would make me you know, more competitive or, you know, able to be out here in the job market with a decent salary. And that just hasn't.
0: Well, because the people who are saying that, like, went to college when it cost, like, $15 and <laughs> a stick of double mint gum. <laughs> so, yeah, they paid their loans back within, like, five years and then saved up for, like, a house which also cost $15. <laughs> and then they're all like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, like, I can't afford boots. <laughs> <laughs> it's not lost on me that,
3: like, the 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 higher end of college now we're talking about seventy thousand dollars yeah
2: yeah yeah and
3: it's like you would already need to be an orthopedic surgeon when you finish high school (laughs) to be able to go to college Mm -hmm. now like it it's such a ridiculous premise and then you have to wonder what is actually the point of the exercise right like what is it supposed to do to pay that much money to have access to knowledge that already exists
4: like, mm-hmm. it, it's a
3: really, mm-hmm. it's something I struggle with, right? And and I think, you know, Damien and I talk about it a lot because growing up in Europe, this was not the thing that they do over there, right? They they really do, first of all, like, it's, it's a different situation in a lot of instances because in high schools, they tend to be learning more along the lines of what we're learning when we get to our baccalaureate program. So it's already a mm-hmm. different kind of a balance so where you don't have as large a percentage of people going to college people who do go to college I think first of all it it just doesn't cost what it costs here like it's absolutely absurd Mm -hmm. and then secondly it's just a a different reception to it because here you even have these moments where you hear people in certain parts of the political universe saying things like we don't need any more philosophers we need more welders we need to bring back all these coal jobs and it's like first of all what year are you living in? (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and secondly like there is nothing in the world wrong with wanting to use your skill set if your skill set says you are a philosopher we should embrace that as a society because we have plenty of problems that nobody's thinking about mm-hmm. you know yeah. so mm-hmm. I I mean I think that when we're talking about college also we have to think about why the barriers are there and what people do not want to see coming out of more people going to college specifically more people who look like us going to college what comes of that? And I don't think that there is an accident, right? When you're looking at rates, the differences in what people of color ultimately pay over the course of their lives to get mm-hmm. an education relative to what white people pay. That, that again, it's a systemic problem that is not there by happenstance.
1: Yeah. 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 I think that was... People not seeing that systemic problem was like a real issue for me, especially as I was like starting my career and like Mm -hmm. right out of college. Mm -hmm. And people were not understanding. (laughs) Just like, so you're offering me this uh, really modest uh, salary or hourly pay or whatever. And I'm looking and, you know, I got a couple months until I have to start paying back these loans. And on top of that, being a person of color and being black specifically, mm-hmm. I feel like people did not recognize, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not having fair pay mm-hmm. or, or or pay that is on par with, like, you know, just being able to live yeah. in this city. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, is even more detrimental to me than it is to my white counterparts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I am not coming Absolutely. to this with the same generational yeah. wealth that yeah. they had. I did yeah. not go into college with some big college fund that yeah. my, you know, parents had. They did not, they do not help me with my rent. Like, yeah, yeah I can right. ask for money here and there when I when I need it, but there's nobody, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> subsidizing mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. living on mm-hmm. a consistent basis, you know, like, and I found that people just did not, did not and, understand that.
0: And they don't, because Mm-mm. I remember, it <clears throat> was a few years ago, we are, were having some drinks with some neighbors in their backyard, and this one dude, fully Gen X, <laughs> Um, you know, was talking about his job, and that this young woman had just started, she was fresh out of college, and she was asking for all of these things, like, she wanted a Raise, and she wanted, like, more time off. And she wanted, like, you know, all of these things that, to me, just, like, just even in general, just, like, started, just sounded perfectly reasonable. Like, yeah, no, she doesn't want to work 70 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. And she, she wants enough money to, I don't know, pay her rent or whatever. <laughs> but he just started talking about, like, how entitled these millennials are. And they don't want to come in and pay their dues and da-da-da. And it's like, pay their dues? You don't want to pay them. Right. Yeah. for Thank their you. work Thank you. this isn't about dues this is about you know and he didn't specify you know what this girl's race was and I didn't ask but you know just the fact that like you know it's this you know 50 something year old cis mm-hmm. dude mm-hmm. talking about this young woman and how entitled she is yeah. like it just already I don't <laughs> I don't I'm I think you all know me well enough to know that like usually I don't Go off mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in in like a serious way, but like I made that that drinks party very uncomfortable because I, <laughs> I went off on this dude. Because <laughs> it's like, first of all, you're talking about Gen Z if she's French out of college. Right. Like, millennials I mean, from... are 40 with kids. Um, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like if we're talking about millennials paying their we're dues... We're all out of college. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a completely different conversation. But what we're talking about with this young girl is she... wants to pay her rent and buy food. And right now, $32,000 in the Twin Cities? That's not gonna do that. That's not even gonna get you, like, you know, a studio. Mm -mm. Let alone, like, being able to feed yourself and clothe yourself Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like you know, maybe go out with your friends once a month and, like, let off, like, some steam or contribute to some disposable income to Mm -hmm. the economy in some way. Mm -hmm. Like, and it just boggles my mind how people, like, do not understand that. But I guess it's just, like, people just get comfortable. And it's just, like, you're just in your job for, you know...
1: Yeah.
0: ...15, 20 years. You've had your mortgage for 15, 20 years. You actually, like... Don't have an idea of like how much things cost.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Because, like, yeah, when you graduated from college in 1996 or whatever, $32,000 was fine. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But like, like, it was still keeping up, like, things were still matching up with, Mm -hmm. you know, inflation or, you know, how much your bills were versus your salary and stuff. And like, I think about how among college students, like, food insecurity is a huge, huge. problem. Huge. I witnessed that, it's too. Huge. There were definitely times where I was like, yes. so, girls, like, <laughs> how are we going to make this meal work? Like, okay, she gets free food from her job. She gets free food from her job. I got $5 to stop by the store and get us a rotisserie chicken, and maybe that'll hold us over for a little bit. Like,
0: I remember having $20 and, like, that needing to stretch for an entire week. Yeah. For me yeah. To like eat Um, you know, it's a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I, absolutely. When I was in my last job at Columbia where we had like a large cadre of student workers, there might have been like twelve of them. I actually had to restructure the budget so that we could feed everybody every day. Because there mm. were there were multiple instances of someone saying to me, Oh yeah, I haven't eaten today because I can't, right? And it was, mm-hmm. there were federal work study students. I couldn't really manipulate how much I paid them, but I could do something else. And it just mm-hmm. kind of struck me. It's like, Columbia literally has $10 billion. Wow. Like literally, there is no reason for anybody within the sound of my voice to have been hungry at any point on that campus, right? So, you know, you have universities operating like corporations, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and and not really making it their primary responsibility to like nourish the whole student. You can't do good intellectual work if your body isn't where it needs to be because you're, you're sitting back hungry because you live in Manhattan and you can't afford to live in Manhattan because you're, you're a student. Right. And this is part of the, the thinking that isn't present. And I feel like in another sense, our field is, is very guilty of it. Right. Where Mm -hmm. artists are just not paid living wages and, administrators of arts are frequently not paid living wages. Mm -hmm. And and this is a, not even a dirty little secret. Like it's a thing that we all talk about, but no one has really figured out how to right side that. But Mm -hmm. it's a, a thing that I think we need to be much more open about and talk about like as a community, like a community that also includes people who come to the arts, people who donate to the arts, because people should know, you love listening to this person sing, you love seeing this person in a film. A lot of these people live a different kind of check-to-check life than, mm-hmm. than yeah. you may understand. And that's a a piece of it that I think we should be doing something about it because people are making billions of dollars off of performers, right? This is not about Scarlett Johansson suing Disney. <laughs> 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 it's about kind of like the, everything else. I have so many conversations with friends of mine who are singers who have not really worked in the last 18 months for obvious reasons mm-hmm. and have sung at the great opera houses of the world, have sung on Broadway, have multiple recordings out there and right now are are still in very very precarious situations. Mm. And yep. you know, we we have to be thinking differently about the social safety net.
1: For sure. I in this story we were reading about HBCU. So Like, just so everyone's clear, because we had the conversation about it too. That like this is, um, them erasing people's debt with the school Mm -hmm. and not like student loans or so like like, not right, right, not like federal or private student loans. But I feel like from just going off of what I saw at Howard, like that was a big problem too. Just like while people were still in school being able to get their like debt with the school down enough that they could graduate Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they could be allowed to walk across the stage or you know how many people get are, are you know constantly pushed to to go to college and to you know, just at least start by any means necessary mm-hmm. even if they can't afford okay. it mm-hmm. and then don't make it through. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Like yeah. that's that's a that's a big thing too that mm-hmm. I feel like we've been seeing like even even more of. Mm-hmm. I don't know the statistic around that, but like I would be interested in seeing it. Like just how many people go and pay all this money and and can't even can't even finish. Yeah. So I was I was excited to see like HBCUs doing yeah. doing that and like yeah. uh, people should just follow their suit forgive all the, the debt the student loans mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of that just all of that I also feel like there's more support and like celebration around you know somebody going to school mm-hmm. when they first start so like i I remember that distinctly too, feeling like there was easier to access scholarships, easier to you know, oh, your community sure. c- yep, community yeah. kinda rallies around Absolutely. you, they're so excited. Like, Paige is going to be yeah. mm-hmm. She's going to Howard. <laughs> like, <"All right." laughs> and like you know, it's just a little easier that first year mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you you know, you get into it mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, so <laughs> how am I gonna keep keep paying for this? And yeah. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well I hope other f- schools follow suit I do and too. if you are a student out there I am thinking of you and praying for you because lord knows especially in COVID times good god <laughs> It's PB&J time. Hit it, Paige. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Get <laughs> it. <laughs> and so I will turn it over to you, Dr. Bonham.
3: Yes. Yeah, so we're going to do a little bit of a exploration of some black history today. Um, so approximately 114 years ago... There was a group of Buffalo Soldiers who ventured on over to upstate New York, West Point, U.S. Military Academy, to teach horsemanship to what, at the time, were um, a group of all-white men cadets. And now, after this very long period, West Point is actually putting up its first statue to a Black person. Um, Staff Sergeant Sanders H. Matthews Sr., who was the last known Buffalo soldier to serve at West Point, is getting a statue made by Eddie Dixon. And it's meant, honestly, to honor the contributions of all of the Buffalo soldiers to um, the U.S. military, but specifically to the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. And I think, you know, this is just absolutely fantastic. The, the, I feel like we have this narrative in this country that doesn't really include black people in patriotism. Mm. And I mm. love when these little correctives come through to remind people that we've been here the whole time. There has not been a war fought for this country's freedom that Black people have not actively participated in. And I think this acknowledgement at West Point, which has such a symbolic importance to the country, is a really important one. And even if it took 114 years to come (laughs) to pass, I think it
0: is important that we are acknowledging these contributions. Definitely. Uh, Just in case anyone doesn't know, um, could you tell us a little bit about A Buffalo Soldier? So the Buffalo Soldiers um, were created
3: by Congress and were actively um, working in the U.S. military between 1866 and 1951. That includes the American-Indian Wars, the Spanish-American War, the Philippine-American War, a forgotten one, Mexican border war, war, World War I, and World War II. They were an all-black series of regiments um, that really um, sort of shifted in the popular consciousness the role of black soldiers in the U.S. Army. They were a very very prominent one and have really occupied a place of great pride for African Americans really for the last 115 years. So it's a huge step in the right direction for this kind of honor to be made at a place like West Point, I would say.
0: Mhm. Absolutely.
1: Definitely. I I read, I guess it's not confirmed, but folklore says that the Buffalo soldiers got their name from Native Americans who said they were fierce and like strong and mm, as I though as the Buffalo. And some may say that it may be also because of hair and like, you know, our <laughs> hair reminding them of like Buffalo Manes. But I I also appreciate this monument because like I feel, I, I feel like part of why honoring like black soldiers in general is important because we've also been put in some really complicated and like difficult situations mm-hmm. like yeah. the part of their job about removing Native Americans from their land, probably not so great, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. or, yeah. you know, just the, you know, fighting for. For your country, and and then coming back and facing racism still, Right. and mm-hmm. right. you know that kind of thing, or just you know only being relegated to certain to certain roles, mm-hmm. and, yeah. or sometimes the most dangerous, or the yeah. ones that get the least things, or, you or know, segregated units and segregated units, mm-hmm. all of that. One mm-hmm. of my grandfather was part of one of those mm-hmm. in the World War Two, and so yeah, I feel like it's. This is a step in the right yeah. direction yeah. when we can, you know, honor them and be like, We didn't put them in some of the best situations right. also. Yeah. And yeah. And maybe
3: the unequal application of the GI Bill as well. Right. Um, Where like uh-huh. because of redlining there were lots of um black veterans who did not get to take advantage of the the same housing benefits that really created the white middle class. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's goes back to our earlier conversation about the the wealth gap and also closely related was the fact that um, they looked at certain kinds of accreditation with regards to who could use their GI Bill monies for college, right? So there were lots of people who were sort of caught in this place where the benefits couldn't be used at HBCUs, at certain HBCUs, but at the same time they were not permitted to go to white schools. Oh wow! So mm. even after doing this kind of service, where they were already being burdened in different kind of ways, they weren't even able to reap the benefits of having been in the service. Yeah.
2: and that's a, yeah. another
3: part of this that we're not like talking about actively. So I feel like statue is the least they could do. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, good for West Point. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. step in the right direction. Step like in you in he the said, right direction <laughs>
3: absolutely.
0: And, and, you know, all honors, um, to the Buffalo Soldiers. Absolutely. Um, you know, remembering you all and your service to this country. And thank you. Thank you all so much. Um... Shifting gears entirely. Yes, let's shift them. <laughs> I don't think we could be shifting gears anymore. Except, except, you know what? <laughs> Looking at my ganache. Oh, we, we just have to, we have to the take a soldier minute. of drag. She really, she really, really did. She
3: did an extraordinary job. We
0: just have to give her her flowers real yeah, quick. I'm absolutely.
3: <laughs> it was one of the, you know, everybody on, on Drag Race, Tries to call themselves legendary for like a range of reasons. I'm the first girl to wear a purple sequin gown on a Tuesday night. Like, I all did two
0: death re- drops. Right. And a lip thing.
3: Legendary status. <laughs> but that sweep through six girls in a row. Was legendary. Um, I'm a huge lip sync fan. I grew up lip syncing in the mirror. My cousin and I would have all kinds of lip sync competitions, and I would win everything. So <laughs> I have a special place in my heart for what Silky did, and I have been saying to anybody who would listen for the last couple of years that if Silky got the right showcase, she would demonstrate a skill set that I don't think came through. Nearly as clearly on her season really? as I was perceiving. I just, I could mm. always tell with Silky there was something more than we were getting to see. And some of that was also just like how Rue would respond to her. Mm-hmm. Like they would pan out to Rue and you see she's just beaming from ear to ear. And it's like, you like her. You like her for a reason. <laughs> and she's just wonderful. Those are some great lip syncs. And even the one that, she should have won. Where she came out there chomping on those potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> that Missy Elliott garbage yes! bag suit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even watch it. I,
1: know I like her already. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing.
0: Because I feel like if you watched her original season, she didn't come off very well. Okay. She okay. was just very. She seemed very full of herself. Mm -hmm. Not just, like, confident, but, like, arrogant. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. there were times when she had, like, the goods to back it up. But then more often than not, it was like, girl, what are you doing? What is going on? (laughs) What is happening (laughs) with your pads? (laughs) And the pads were an issue. They were just Uh, an issue. And just, uh, you know, some of her choreography and jokes didn't land. But... You know, she came back to this season, and, you know, she was talking about, like, she wasn't really able to book jobs because people mm-hmm. were seeing her as a sort of, like, arrogant person that they didn't oh. want to work with, um, that, like, a lot of her sort of, like, mistakes and, like, you know, foibles and whatnot were edit- were put into the final edit, okay. so you didn't really get to mm-hmm. see, like, the full wet. Width and breadth of her her talent yeah. and everything that she was doing, and then she got eliminated like third. Yeah, and mm. so she comes back to the game within a game, and then just mows down. She <laughs> <laughs> wore Jiggly, <laughs> yes. and then I, and Jiggly is a good and she's good. She was yes, and I mean I was sad about that because I love Jiggly. I love Jiggly too, but yes. um, but like Jiggly, and then I forgot it was after Jiggly. Oh, um, what's her face? uh scarlet one. yeah scarlet uh, mm-hmm. whatever <laughs> um and then jan, jan- and oh, oh, she's not so tired that janice no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and then pandora which what even was that <laughs> yeah. pandora looked great though
3: i i will say she looked good in that lip sync even though it was clearly not a song she was going to be able to
0: but she's doing Ariana Grande like dressed as like the madam from like a 1920s like western oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like bordello. <laughs> like what are you doing? <laughs> are you doing? <laughs> like this like lacy teddy with like this like big like silk robe it, that it she really was. It was just it really like was. With, like victory curls in her, Like no. <laughs> absolutely not. No, and then, and then you no, and then I was just going to say, and then Eureka. And that was just tragic. Cause she was trying to do a reveal. Um, I got, stuck, and in got stuck, stuck in her, her in costume. the Missy oh, In the Missy you know, thing. And yeah. she was like, oh, oh, like no. trying to get out of it. And so it was like, if she had gotten out of it, then she would have won. I, okay. I agree.
3: Or she just decided to stay in it and, yeah. and just, but the, I will tell you where it's, Silky got me because Damien was never on the same page and we have some knockdown drag outs about drag race. But <laughs> there was one of her early appearances on her season where she came on the runway dressed as Eveline from The Wiz mm-hmm. and it was it was so perfect and I am one of those people I could perform The Wiz right now. Front to From, back. Front to back, <laughs> top to bottom, all the roles.
1: I'm with you. I got the ad libs in the background. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll be the munchkins, I'll be the crows. I know all the parts. <laughs>
3: we should have a whole show dedicated to The Wiz one day. But it was, it was just something that did my heart just so good to see her oh come back and... And prove what she was saying about Mm -hmm. herself, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, we as people of color do not always get second chances in this country, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that she came back and demonstrated, I meant what I said. I really am very, very good. And And we all saw it. (laughs) And even though
0: she didn't get back into the competition because she lost that last lip sync, um, I mean, she just cemented herself as just, like she said, the lip sync guru. Yeah. And like now, she's gonna be booked and busy for the rest of her life. The rest of her life. Everybody's gonna want her to come in. Like, oh, do you have the, the? Oh, I forgot about the one. The one where so Akira didn't. Right. um, Oh yes. She didn't want to come back to participate. She got eliminated. And so she she was like, no, thank you, bye-bye, I'm leaving the competition for good. And Silky was like, okay, well, I'm taking this, like, very seriously, and I have prepared a whole performance, so even though she's not here, I would still like to perform for you. And girl, she did Barbie Girl by Aqua, and she was dressed half as a woman, half as a man. And just, like, kept, like, going back and forth. And then started rolling across the stage. Head in the (laughs) bell (laughs) style. What? It was amazing. It was amazing. (laughs) And I don't usually sort of, like, you know, lip syncs are fine. But, like, you know, like, there are certain ones where it's just like, oh, my God, I can't. Mm -hmm. Like, Dieter Ritz doing Natalie Cole. Right. Or, um... Uh, Brooklyn Heights versus Evie Adley during the Demi Lovato, like that one was amazing. Yeah, that was, a great, that, was in, that was incredible. One. But like it has to be like really special for me to be like ooh and like when she started rolling across that stage, silky and, like come on Barbie, let's go, party, and then rolling over <laughs> on her back, like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I lost my uh, s. <laughs> <laughs> like it was amazing. Yeah. So, you know, big ups to Silky Nut Mekinash. Absolutely. You you did that. And well, I think that's where we're going to leave it now. I guess we're a drag race, drag race podcast. <laughs> We've always been a drag race podcast. I guess podcast. we always either we'll we win or, or not. <laughs> <laughs> and if you agree with us or don't, let us know at <laughs> the score at Opera dot org. Um, You know, and write to us and let us know what else you want us to talk about other than drag race. Because, yeah, like, we could just talk about this for, you know, Every week for this in a different
3: world reruns. I mean, like these are the things I know. So,
0: (laughs) and Housewives of Potomac. (laughs) I did not. I have not seen this week's yet. So no spoilers. Uh, No spoilers.
3: But go home and watch it. (laughs) Okay.
0: Because I mean, Wendy, Wendy. Okay, we can get get into that next week. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's eyes just got super big. (laughs) Dr. Wendy, okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so um, review, subscribe, five-star reviews, please. Only five stars. Five. Yeah. Not four, not two, not one,
1: not zero. There we go
0: think out
1: yes if you really if you really (laughs) want to be on our good side you know write some words to go with the stars
0: too because that is very very helpful for those of you who don't know that gets us attention Mm -hmm. on spotify and apple podcasts and all those places and um share it with with your little friends, (laughs) as we would say. (laughs) Because we're fun. Because we're fun. Um, But yeah, I think I'm done. I'm ready to go get back in bed. (laughs) Because my my vacation (laughs) brain, y'all don't understand. My brain is mush. It's mush. (laughs) I
1: understand. It's hard to transition. It is. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking, though, like... I mean, one, I would just love to receive emails in the first place yes. from mm-hmm. listeners. Yes. But also, I don't know if y'all have heard of the new show, Reservation Dogs. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I, I want to know your thoughts. Watch it. I want to know your thoughts. I really like it. There's some things that, pertaining to black folks, that mm-hmm. makes me go, ah, I want to talk about that. But hmm. also, it made me think that just like, I want to talk to indigenous folks who are in classical music. So yes. like... But I can't, yes. don't personally know any, or can't think of any. But if any of y'all do who are listening, I would love to hear about them. Yeah. So like, you could drop that in the email. Just like a personal a request, idea. you'd be doing me a huge favor. <laughs> the score, Pretty please. I would, yeah.
0: The score at eminopera That's our email. Yeah. Use it. <laughs> 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 All right, friends. Well, this has been super fun as always and thank you so much for joining us all of you out there big thank you to Nia and Monty Franklin once again for joining us and go buy her album on the 17th when it comes out extended um, and I think that's it that might be it too okay. well, bye everybody we'll see you in two weeks bye, bye. bye. <laughs>